we present John Moffat as Hercule Poirot and Andre Moran as Monsieur Bouc in Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express. The odious ratchet, the kidnapper and murderer of little Daisy Armstrong, has been savagely stabbed to death on the Orient Express. We are trapped in a snowdrift, and the killer is still somewhere on the train. My good friend Hercule Poirot is certain that among the passengers, he has found the aunt of the murdered child. It is useless to deny it, madame. You are Helena Goldenberg, the sister of Sonia Armstrong. I'm not denying it. Yes, I am Sonia's sister. You did not acquaint me with that fact when I questioned you earlier, Madame la Comtesse. No, I did not. In fact, everything that you and your husband have told me was a tissue of lies. Monsieur, I cannot allow you no, to speak... No, Rudolph. Monsieur Poirot puts the facts rather brutally, but what he says is undeniable. I am glad you admit the fact so freely, Madame. Will you now tell me your reasons for doing so and for obscuring your Christian name on your passport? That was my doing entirely. Surely, Monsieur Poirot, you can guess my reason. The man who was killed is the man who murdered my baby niece, who killed my sister, who broke my brother-in-law's heart. Of all the people on this train, I alone have the best motive for killing him. And did you kill him, madame? I swear to you, Monsieur Poirot, that much as I may have been tempted to it, I never lifted a hand against the man. I do. I give you my word of honor that last night Elena never left her compartment. She took a sleeping pill exactly as I said. She is totally innocent. Then how do you explain the presence of your wife's handkerchief in the dead man's compartment? That handkerchief is not mine. In spite of the initial H? In spite of the initial. But after so many lies, how can I know that you are telling me the truth? I know that I cannot hope to make you believe me. But I assure you that it is so. The handkerchief is not mine. Then why did you alter the name on your passport? Because we heard that the handkerchief had been found with the initial H on it. I couldn't bear the thought of having the kidnapping raked up again and to be suspected and perhaps thrown into prison. I was scared stiff, Monsieur Poirot. Can't you understand? If I am inclined to believe you, madame, then you must help me. Help you? Yes, the reason for the murder lies in the past, in that tragedy which broke up your home and destroyed your young life. Take me back into the past, that I may find there the link that will explain the whole thing. But what can there be to tell you? There was another victim, madame. An indirect victim, you might say. Poor Suzanne. The nursemaid? Yes, I had forgotten about her. The police were convinced that she had something to do with it. She thought she was being held responsible. She threw herself out of the window. It was horrible. There was a nurse, too, I think. Yes, there was. I think her name was Stringlebert, something like that. She was devoted to Daisy and to my sister. You were a young girl at the time. Did you have no one to superintend your studies? Oh, yes, I had a governess, a red-haired Scotch woman. She was a frightful dragon. What was her name? Miss Freebody. Huh. Young or old? She seemed frightfully old to me. I suppose she couldn't have been more than 40. And there were no other inmates in the house? Only the servants. Are you certain? Quite certain, madame, that you have recognized no one on the train? No one, monsieur. No one at all. Do you hear that? That is coming from the other side of the barrier of snow. Rescue is on its way, mes amis. 
Which means that the Yugoslav police will be on their way, too. You are quite right, Doctor. There is no time to be lost. How long do you think it will take the snowplows to get through to us, Monsieur Boucou? A matter of hours. The princess is coming. Huh? Monsieur Poirot, oh, pray, be seated, gentlemen. Monsieur Poirot, I believe that you have a handkerchief of mine. Is this it, madame? Yes, it is. It has my initial in the corner. But, Madame la Princesse, it is the letter H. I understood that your name was Natalia. That is correct, Monsieur. My handkerchiefs are always initialed in the Russian characters. H is N in Russian. But you did not tell me that the handkerchief was yours when we talked earlier. You need not make a lengthy business of this, monsieur. Your next question will be, how did my handkerchief come to be lying next to the murdered man's body? My reply is that I have no idea. You will excuse me, madame, but how much can we rely upon the truthfulness of your replies? Is this because I did not tell you I knew that Helene Andreni was Mrs. Armstrong's sister? It was a deliberate lie, madame. Of course it was. Her mother was my friend. I believe in loyalty to one's friends, to one's family, and to one's caste. You do not believe in doing your utmost to further the cause of justice? No one paid much heed to the cause of justice when Cassetti walked from that court of free man. But now, I believe that justice, a strict justice, has been done. <sighs> lies and still more lies. It amazes me the amount of lies we had told to us this morning. <laughs> there are still more to discover. So, uh, who do we tackle next? We question the Pakasaib Colonel Abathnot. Well, I don't imagine he will be very pleased. It could easily be one of my pipe cleaners. I don't put a private mark on them. Do you know where it was found? Not the least idea. It was found by the body of the murdered man. Can you tell us how it is likely to have got there? If you mean, did I drop it there myself? No, I didn't. I never even spoke to the fellow. You mean you never spoke to him and you did not murder him? If I had, I should hardly be likely to acquaint you with the fact. As a matter of fact, I didn't murder Ratchet. Ah, well, it is of no consequence. I beg your pardon? It is of no consequence. What I really wish to ask you about was quite another matter. Miss Devenham may have told you, perhaps, that I overheard some words she spoke to you at the station of Konya. She said, not now, when it's all over, when it's all behind us. Can you tell us what she meant by that? I'm sorry, but I must refuse to answer that question. You will not give away a lady's secret? You can put it that way, if you like. Miss Devenham told me that the words referred to a private matter of her own. Then why not take her word for it? Because, Colonel, Miss Devenham is what one might call... A highly suspicious character. That's nonsense. You have nothing whatever against her. Not the fact that Miss Debenham was companion governess in the Armstrong household at the time of the kidnapping of little Daisy Armstrong? <laughs> you see, Colonel, we know more than you think. If Miss Debenham is innocent, why did she conceal the fact? Why did she tell me that she had never been in America? Why don't you ask her? That, my dear Colonel is precisely what I am going to do. Yes, it's true. I... I did lie to you. Ah, you admit it. Certainly, since you found me out. 
You are at least frank, mademoiselle. There doesn't seem anything else for me to be. And why did you lie to me? I should have thought the reason leapt to the eye, Monsieur Poirot. Does not leap to mine. I have my living to get. What has that to do with it? What do you know of the struggle to get and keep a decent situation? Do you think a woman who has been detained in connection with a murder case and whose photograph has probably appeared in all the English papers, do you think that any nice, ordinary, English, middle-class woman would want to engage that person as a governess to her daughters? Why should I put my whole future at risk when no good could have been served? I would have thought that I would have been the best judge of that, not you. You will not tell me your secret, mademoiselle? I can't. I can't. You don't want me any more, do you, Monsieur Poirot? I shan't run away. Another miraculous guess. My dear friend, you really are quite astonishing. Oh, I claim no credit this time. Countess saint practically told me. But the woman the Countess described as her governess was nothing like Miss Debenham. She said she was a middle-aged Scotswoman with red hair. The exact opposite in every respect. And then she had to invent a name for her on the spur of the moment, and it was the unconscious association of ideas that gave her away. She called her Miss Freebody, you remember? Yes. In London there is a store called Debenham and Freebody. With the name Debenham running in her head, she clutches at the first name that comes to mind. Freebody. Oh. Huh. Uh, nothing could surprise me now. Even if everybody on the train turned out to have been in the Armstrong household, I should not so much as blink. That is a very profound remark. Would you like to see what your favorite suspect, the Italian, has to say for himself? Yes, I was the Armstrong, the chauffeur, but I had nothing to do with this business last night. I never left the carriage. You cannot prove anything against me. Very good. You can go. That pig! He should have gone to the electric chair anyway. Did you know the, the American police tried to pin it on me? But it was not you. You had nothing to do with the kidnapping of the child. Oh, you know, you could not understand. That little girl was the light of the whole house. Tonyo, she called to me. I'm going to drive the car now, Tonyo, she would say. And she would sit on my lap and I hold the wheel. How could anyone do such a thing to her? I do understand. You may go. She was an angel. <laughs> a little angel. My head is spinning. It is not possible. Who are you going to call now? The Swedish lady, Miss Olsen. But how can she be involved in all this? You remember the trained nurse who worked with the Armstrong household? That poor child. She'd known nothing but kindness and love. If you'd been there, if you'd lived through that terrible tragedy. I know I should have told you the truth about myself, but I was afraid, I was afraid, because I rejoiced that that evil man was dead. I understand everything. I will ask you no more questions. It is enough that you have admitted what I knew to be the truth. Go now, mademoiselle. Poor woman. 
One begins to understand how unutterably evil this man must have been. <coughs> I hope that I'm not intruding, sir. Not in the least. What is it that you have to say, Mr. Masterman? I thought it best to come along at once, sir, and tell you the truth. And what is that? I was Colonel Armstrong's batman during the war, sir. And afterwards, I was his valet when the family was living in New York. I'm afraid I concealed the fact this morning. It was very wrong of me, sir, and I thought I'd better come along and make a clean breast of it. Very right and proper, Mr. Masterman. Is that all you have to say? Uh, that is all, sir. Thank you. You may go. I just had to get it off my conscience, sir. Of the twelve passengers in that coach, nine have been proved to have a connection with the Armstrong family, but which of them is the murderer? Ah, my friend, I fear you do not understand at all. Tell me, do you really not know who killed Ratchet? Do you? I think that it is time now that we assembled all the passengers together. I will ask Michel to arrange it. Ah, yes, Michel. It is essential that he is there too. Michel? You mean he too is involved in this? Oh, it is impossible. Where will it all end? The passengers are all gathered in the dining car, Monsieur Bouc. Ah, thank you, Michel. Uh, what's happening outside? They're getting up steam on the engine. Does that mean the line is clear? The snowplows are only a few hundred meters away. The track should be clear within the hour. Then the sooner this little matter is cleared up, the better. If you would care to go ahead, Monsieur Poirot. Mesdames et Messieurs, we are here, as you know, to investigate the killing of Samuel Edward Ratchet Cassetti. I have considered the matter very carefully, and I have come to the conclusion that there are two possible explanations of the crime. Two? I shall put both of them before you, and I shall ask Monsieur Bouc and Dr. Constantine here to judge which solution is the right one. Very well. Now, you all know the facts of the case. Mr. Ratchet was found stabbed this morning. He was last known to be alive at 12.37 last night when he spoke to the wagon lee conductor through the door. A watch in his pyjama pocket was found to be badly dented, and it had stopped at a quarter past one. What did you consider the time of death to be after your examination, Doctor? Between midnight and two in the morning. At half an hour after midnight, as you all know, the train ran into a snowdrift. After that time, it was impossible for anyone to leave the train. We are therefore forced to the conclusion that the murderer is to be found among the occupants of one particular coach, the Stambul Kale coach. That, as I say, was our theory. What do you mean, Monsieur Parot? I will put before you an alternative theory. It is very simple. Mr. Ratchet had a certain enemy whom he feared. Perhaps you would describe him to us, Mr. Hardman. Sure. He said to look out for a small, dark man with a womanish voice. Now, it is my belief that Mr. Ratchet knew a good deal more than he told. The enemy, as he expected, joined the train at Belgrade, or possibly at Vinkovtsi. He wore a wagon lee uniform over his ordinary clothes and had a pass key which enabled him to gain access to Mr. Ratchet's compartment. The man stabbed Ratchet with great ferocity and left through the communicating door to Miss Hubbard's compartment. And to think that at first nobody would believe me. He slipped out into the corridor, put his uniform into Fräulein Schmidt's suitcase and he left the train just before it pulled out of Winkowski. But what about the watch? There you have the explanation for the whole thing. 
Mr. Ratchet had omitted to put his watch back an hour as he should have done at Saribrod. His watch still registered Eastern European time, which is one hour ahead of Central European time. It was a quarter past twelve when Ratchet was stabbed, not a quarter past one. No, 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 no. This is not possible. This explanation simply does not hold water. It is deficient in at least a dozen points. You know very well that it is not the way in which the crime was committed, Monsieur Parot. Very well, Doctor. I see that I shall have to give you my second solution. But do not abandon the first one too abruptly. You may come round to it later. So we come to my second solution. First of all, I was struck by a remark made by Monsieur Bouc in the restaurant car on the first day after leaving Istanbul. You mean about the company being so varied, with so many different characters and nationalities? Precisely. When I was reflecting on the murder, I tried to imagine whether such an assembly was ever likely to be collected together under any other conditions, and the answer which came to me was... only in America. In America there might be a household composed of just such varied nationalities, an Italian chauffeur, an English governess, a Swedish nurse, a French lady's maid, and so on. That led to my little game of guessing. Casting each person for a certain part in the Armstrong family drama as a producer casts a play. All your so-called guesses turned out to be quite remarkably accurate. It is very good of you to say so. I then considered some of the evidence that had been presented to us. Let us take Mr. Masterman. You said that your master was in the habit of taking a sleeping draft when travelling by train. Right, that is correct. He invariably found it hard to get to sleep on a moving train. But would Ratchet have taken one last night? A man who keeps an automatic under his pillow because his life has been threatened would scarcely take a sleeping draft. Whatever narcotic was administered to him must have been done without his knowledge. By whom? Obviously by McQueen or Masterman. Now, to pass to the evidence of Mrs. Hubbard. I was wondering how long it would be before you got around to me. Mrs. Hubbard has told us that lying in bed she was unable to see whether the communicating door was bolted or not, and so asked Miss Olsen to look for her. Now, though her statement may have been perfectly true if she had been occupying any of the even-numbered compartments, in the uneven numbers, such as compartment number three, the bolt is well above the handle and could not therefore be masked by the sponge bag. I was forced to conclude that Mrs. Hubbard was inventing an incident that had never occurred. And now let me say a word or two about time. I felt certain that the evidence of Ratchet's watch had been deliberately faked. The crime was not committed at a quarter past one. So, when did the murder take place? In my opinion, Ratchet was killed at some time very close upon two o'clock, the latest hour that Dr. Constantine gives as possible. Which brings us to the question of who killed him. I was struck by the extraordinary difficulty of proving a case against any one person on the train and the curious coincidence that in every instance each alibi was confirmed by what 
I might describe as an unlikely person. McQueen and Colonel Arbuthnot, Miss Debenham and Miss Olson, Mr. Masterman and Signor Foscarelli, all were apparent strangers to one another. I said to myself, this is extraordinary. They cannot all be in it. And then I saw the light. They were all in it. All of them? I remember the remark of Colonel Arbuthnot about trial by jury. A jury is composed of twelve people. There were twelve passengers. Ratchet was stabbed twelve times. So each blow was inflicted by a different person? Of course. Ratchet had escaped justice in America. There was no question as to his guilt. I visualized a self-appointed jury of twelve people who condemned Ratchet to death and who were forced by the exigencies of the case to be their own executioners. It was all calculated perfectly, each person playing his or her allotted part. If I had not found that scrap of burnt letter, there would have been no clue pointed to the Armstrong case and no reason for suspecting any of the passengers on the train. It would be put down as an outside job. And then the train ran into snowdrift. Mm. I can only imagine that the conspirators had a hasty discussion and decided to risk everything and go ahead, even with a celebrated detective in the next compartment to Ratchet. But how could they have known who you were? What other explanation could there be for the cry I heard in the night or for the voice from Ratchet's compartment speaking in French? Hm. They were staged especially for my benefit. Why else go to so much trouble to plan clues that were deliberately intended to confuse? The pipe cleaner implicated Colonel Arbuthnot, who appeared to have a cast-iron alibi and no connection with the Armstrong family. And the handkerchief of the Princess Dragomirov, who was too weak to have committed the crime. And there was one other very curious red herring. The mysterious woman in the scarlet kimono. She was certainly invented specifically to deceive me. And the wool was, briefly, pulled over my eyes. Now there is a further point to consider. For the conspiracy to work, the wagon conductor had to play a part in it. How could Michel possibly be involved in this? He was a vital part of the plot, Monsieur Bouc. But that gave me thirteen persons instead of twelve. So, out of the thirteen, there must have been one of the twelve who did not strike Ratchet. Remember, Monsieur Poirot, I gave you my word of honor that my wife did not leave the compartment. And you are a man of honor, are you not, Monsieur le Comte? It was you who struck the blow, was it not? But you still haven't explained where Pierre Michel fits into all this. At first I could not understand. Then I remembered that the nursery maid who killed herself was French. Suzanne was utterly innocent. The police tried to hold her responsible for what had happened. Yes, Monsieur Michel. Your daughter had no part in the kidnapping. And you, Mr. Hardman, who tried so hard to convince us that you had been hired by Ratchet, you loved her, did you not? She meant everything in the world to me, Mr. Poirot. I cannot keep up with it all. Where does Fräulein Schmidt figure in all this? I laid a little trap for her. I said I knew she was a good cook. And I replied, all my ladies have said so. How stupid. I was deceived by your charm, Monsieur Poirot. <laughs> 
You were travelling as a lady's maid, Fräulein. I was cook to the Armstrongs for three years. Which leaves us with Mrs. Hubbard. Now, Mrs. Hubbard, let me say, played the most important part in the drama. By occupying the compartment communicating with Ratchet, she was more open to suspicion than anyone else. To act out the part she played, an artist was needed. And there was a great artist connected with the Armstrong family, Sonia Armstrong's mother, the famous actress, Linda Arden. I always fancied myself in comedy parts. And you played the part wonderfully, madame. Even you, Monsieur Poirot, can't really imagine what it was like. One terrible disaster after another. My grandchild, my daughter, my son-in-law, the poor French girl. I was crazy with grief. We all were. It would have melted a heart of stone. Armstrong was my best friend. He saved my life during the war. After Ratchet escaped the course of justice, we decided that the death sentence had to be carried out. At that stage, there were only 11 of us. Suzanne's father was in France, of course. But the moment they approached me, there was no question of my not taking part. At first, Monsieur Poirot, we thought we should draw lots as to who should be the executioner. But I said, no, let us all carry out the death sentence. So we set to work to plan exactly how we could carry it through. But how do you fit into all this, Mr. McQueen? That's not so easy to answer. I suppose you could say I was in love with Sonia. Not that she know anything about it, of course. I worshipped the ground she walked on. Oh, I took pity on the poor boy. I told him to come around as often as he wanted. There didn't seem any harm in it. There wasn't. It was just enough to be in her company every now and then. And after she died... After my daughter died, Mr. McQueen did something that would have been impossible for the rest of us. I never let Ratchet out of my sight. I followed him all the way across Europe and the Middle East. And when he fired his secretary, I just happened to be in the same hotel. Monsieur McQueen let us know that Ratchet would be returning by the Orient Express. It was not difficult to get myself on that train, and the chance seemed too good to miss. We were carrying out the sentence the Lord failed to deliver. I wasn't too keen on the idea of stabbing the man to death, but a dagger was the kind of weapon that anyone could use, strong or weak. And it made no noise. And each of you, in turn, entered Ratchet's darkened compartment through that of Mrs. Hubbard and struck your blow, so that none of you would ever know which wound had actually killed him. Just so. Rather like a firing squad. Well, you know everything now, Monsieur Poirot. What are you going to do about it? If it all really has to come out, can't you lay the blame on me and me only? Oh, I would have stabbed that man 12 times over very willingly. It's unnecessary to bring all the others into it. All these good, faithful souls. And poor Michelle. And Mary and Colonel Abbasnop. They love each other. Mr. Book, you are a director of the Vangoni Company. You have heard all the evidence. Was it the work of a lone assassin? Or was it an act of justice carried out by twelve people in this carriage? Well, uh, in my opinion, Monsieur Poirot, the first theory that you put forward was the correct one. The killer left the train at Vinkovsi. Oh. And I suggest that that is the solution we should put to the authorities when they arrive. 
And what do you think, Dr. Constantine? I agree with Monsieur Book. So, having placed my solution before you, I have the honor to retire from the case. I think this must mean that the line is clear. And we have accomplished what we set out to do. Madame la Princesse, Monsieur le Comte, Madame la Comtesse, Mesdames et Messieurs, the Orient Express is about to depart. In the final part of Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express, Hercule Poirot was played by John Moffat, and Monsieur Bouc by André Moran. Mrs. Hubbard, Sylvia Sims. The Princess Dragomirov, Sean Phillips. Miss Debenham, Francesca Annis. Dr. Constantine, Peter Polycarpu. Pierre Michel, Frank Windsor. Colonel Abuffnot, Stephen Hodson. Masterman, Desmond Llewellyn. Miss Olson, Kate Vinci. Fraulein Schmidt, Linda Polan. Foscarelli, Frank Coder. Hardman, John Church. McQueen, James Telfer. The Count and Countess Andrenyi, David Thorpe and Cyril Jenkins. The music was composed and played by Michael Haslam. Murder on the Orient Express was dramatized for radio by Michael Bakewell and directed by Enid Williams.